a moment of honesty real quick. Every time I preach here, uh, there was a, I can't remember when it was. It was uh, a couple times ago. That first step is like my nemesis. I was coming up here and I was walking to come preach and I almost went belly flopped on the stage. So we're already off onto a good start because I have not fallen on my face in front of y'all. So that's good. Hey, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at Newbreak and just glad to be with you guys this morning. Uh, now, when Pastor Steve asked me to preach, he he prepped me up like that. I now know why I'm here this morning. It's because everybody's been on vacation and they just got home and like, they're like, no, let this guy, because I haven't been on vacation yet this summer. So, but man, I'm just glad to be here. Anytime I can come down to the, to the beach and hang out, it's always awesome. And um, I always like to start out, even when I'm in uh, Tierra Santa, I always like to say, if you're new with us this morning, we're so glad that you guys are here with us. There's so many things that you guys could be doing today, but you guys decided to come and hang with us and, and check us out. And however you got here, man, we're just so glad that you guys are here. And if there was two things that I were to say about this church, why I love Newbreak, the first one would be this, that this is a safe place, that no matter what type of week you had, it could have been a week where you've been celebrating, it's been a, like a mountaintop type week, or, or maybe it's been one of those weeks where you've been through the grind, and just to get here this morning is like, Man, it's been one of those weeks. Wherever it is, this is a place that you can really let down the guards of your heart and really experience what God has for you this morning. And I believe that he does, that it'll be an experience that you won't forget. And, and because of this being a safe place, the second thing I love about New Break is it's a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. And I'm so glad that you guys are here with us this morning Hey, when I uh, think of my life, I think of many different seasons, and I've had several different mentors throughout the years. When I was younger, when I was in the military, and uh, when I was uh, becoming, starting to take the steps to become a pastor, and even in this season with the mentors I have. But there's one guy that really kind of pops out in my life, and uh, when I was in college, I had a professor, and his name was Dr. Jeff Mooney, and this guy was like the most intimidating professor on campus uh, he was a guy that was like, he was our Old Testament professor, and there was a rumor that he never read the New Testament, he just always read the Old Testament, like, he didn't know anything else besides that, and like, 95% of the people that took his class your freshman year, you were guaranteed you were going to fail type of professor, maybe some of you guys have that type of professor at your school, so freshman year, I take his class, and I fall in that 95 percentile of about to fail his class. Now, when I was going to school, um, I was a little bit older. I was a full-time student. I had two kids. Um, I was part-time in ministry. I was working a couple other jobs to kind of support my family, and I had all kinds of things I was dealing with, and this class just didn't get the attention in my schedule that it should. Now, I had five other classes, and I was mad because I was like, man, this class takes more time than like raising a two-year-old. It's insane. It's a lot of work. And so I scheduled some office hours with him at, at the point where I should have done it earlier, but I just needed to do it. And I walked into his office, and I was kind of distraught, and I said, hey, I, I know I'm in a position where I'm going to fail, but is there anything that I could do? And he stopped me, and he goes, you know, I've been watching you throughout this entire semester. And he goes, I think we can identify with some things in each other's story. See, I didn't know who Jeff was. And um, Jeff at that time, as he was my professor, was like a leading Old Testament scholar. He was regarded as one of the most, uh, like when it came to biblical language, he was like an expert. He had written books and articles and spoke all over the place. But that wasn't always Jeff's story. See, Jeff was a jazz musician and grew up in, uh, in Alabama. 
and went to school at Auburn, got his degree, and ended up uh, being an up-and-coming pianist in, on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. And that was his lifestyle, was Bourbon Street, right? Like, he lived out everything about it. He was an alcoholic. He had left his faith. He was an atheist. Um, he was a womanizer. And he goes, I've heard your story. See, I didn't have Bourbon Street, but I had Garnett Street. And I spent a lot of time in my 20s on Garnett Street, so I know the two. And he goes, you know... I've watched you, and he goes, I've watched this battle in your life. He goes, I could see that, yes, you've got this calling to be a pastor, but I also see there's some things that are still lingering around. And he goes, I remember, and he was telling me his story, he goes, I remember when I was leaving the world of of jazz and, and stepping into this world of becoming a pastor, there was still little things in my life that were comfortable that I like to kind of hold on to. He goes, I remember I had this moment with a mentor in my life, and he goes, I want to have that moment with you. He goes, you're sitting on the fence. He's all, your character is not necessarily lining up with your calling, and you're getting ready to walk into a train smash if you don't make that decision. He goes, this won't be the last class that you fail. In fact, I was on scholarship at that time. He goes, in fact, you're on the pathway of losing your scholarship. He says, you have to make the decision. You can't sit on the fence. Either you are or you're not. And I think for a lot of us, when we look in seasons of our life and this idea of who God has called us to be, we've come to those monumental moments in our life where we've had to make that decision. Because if we are, then we need to be that. But if we're not, it's going to be a train smash in our life. See, I think the fact is this, when it comes to who God has called us to be, that, that step of faith that we need to take to fully set off, to, to fully step out in faith, it's this idea that if our character, who we are, our makeup doesn't match our calling, we'll waste that calling. We'll waste our success. We'll head for that sort of train smash because it's not a fake it till you make it type of situation. When it comes to who God has called us to be, it's 100% in. Today, we're kicking off this brand new series that really is going after this idea. It's this idea of looking at the characteristics of who God is and how we live that out in our life. And this series is called The Burning Platform because it's kind of a, a pivotal point in our life where we have to make this decision. Either we're going to or we're not. It's not necessarily the opportunity to sit on the fence of like, I like this a little bit, but I want to be this. It's the taking the step to get off the fence and really live it out. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians. In fact, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Over this entire year, we've been in the book of Ephesians. We've looked at the entire book of the, uh, uh, the, the first three chapters of Ephesians and What Paul does here, though, in chapter 4, is he really begins to make this shift. There's this shift in the tone of his letter, because that's basically what this is. It's not necessarily a book. It's a, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, to the believers there. And Paul writes like 13 of these letters. But that's what Paul is doing. In this fourth chapter, Paul begins to really make this shift. And I'll show you what I'm talking about here. So let's pick up in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and it says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with another in love. 
Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What Paul's doing here in chapter 4 compared to the first three verses is Paul's beginning to make this shift to the practical. See, the first three uh, chapters in this book, in this letter, were all about the theology. They're all about this belief, like developing our belief in who God is, those, the study of God. That's what really the first three chapters of Ephesians, Ephesians is all about. And Paul is making this switch from theology to the practical, kind of the, okay, I gave you the theory, now this is how you're going to live it out. And what we'll see is really this shift, and Paul does this in many ways. He goes from like the belief to talking about the calling. He goes from the idea of faith, like developing our faith, to, to our conduct, like developing our character. He goes from um, the idea of, of our wealth to, to how we live that out, to, to our walk, from the expressive from the ideas to the essential, to the core beliefs of who we are as we become and take that step and develop our relationship with Christ. But for me, when I, when I hear that, I go, okay, I understand that, but how do I live that out? I'm always that guy. Like, I see where we begin to make the switch, and I, I always ask myself, yeah, but, yeah, but How? I understand we've, we've gone after this uh, the idea of theology, and Paul, I understand how you're doing this, but, but really, how do I respond to this? How do I respond to the practical? How do I begin to understand what it really means, this idea that Paul's talking about in these, these verses here of walking worthy? How do I go from the theory to the practical? Because sometimes it's so, lo- uh, so easy to get lost in the ideas that the practicality almost seems impossible because the theory is so big. It reminds me, um, really, when I think of this idea from the theory, from the theology to, to the practicality, it reminds me of uh, when I was in the military, I was a diesel mechanic. And I went to school, and um, the first part of, of our schooling was all the, uh, the, the theory and the ideas and the understanding of, like, engines, right? And I remember in the middle of the class, we were going to go from, from the classroom to the lab, but we had to take this test. We had to take this engine component test. So I remember the day came, and they put the engine out there, and they had all the parts lined up and with letters, and we had to, mark, we had to, we had to name every single one of the parts and name what each one of those parts do. We went from the theory to the practicality, and that's what I feel like Paul is doing right here for us. He's taking this idea, these big theological concepts, and that's the beautiful thing, is that because of these theological concepts that Paul is teaching about and telling us about in these first three chapters, it gives us the ability to really live out what it means to to have that, that life, that life worthy of the calling that we have received. And how do we respond to it? We have to lean in. We have to lean in. We have to lean into those concepts because it's in those that we really begin to understand who we are and who we're not. We really begin to understand who Christ has really called us and, and created us to be. And I think if we don't have that understanding, if we don't know who we are, the ability to, to what Paul says, to live out, to walk in a worthy manner, and then how he says to be uh, united. He talks about unity in these first three uh, verses. I think if we don't truly understand as an individual and as a church at large, this idea of, of what it means to walk worthy, what it means to, to be united, if we don't understand who we are, 
That's almost impossible. Because we'll make it up on our own. We'll kind of fake it till we make it. In fact, what we'll end up doing, and I've seen this happen in my own life, is when I don't truly understand who I am and who I'm created to be, I get caught in this kind of comparison world. I, I begin to compare myself to others. And as a church, like I can get lost into it as a pastor and begin to compare our church to, to other churches. I think we get lost in this idea of comparing ourselves to, to others and we can do, get lost in the comparison world of either being too competitive or almost being like feeling that we're not good enough. And we get lost in this. And I've always heard this idea of comparison. We can get lost in these comparison types of world that comparison is the thief of joy because we're always either trying to be too competitive or we're always trying or we're going to feel like we're not good enough. Paul says this, look back at verse 1 again. He says he says as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you. Paul's like, I'm telling you, I'm urging you. I'm telling you as an individual as a church. He's like to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And when Paul uses that word um, worthy in this verse. The Greek word for that is axios. And, and really, what that word means is uh, it's like an equal weight. And that's what Paul is saying, a life worthy of the calling. And the fact that this word of equal weight means that our character and our conduct should be in balance. Our character and our calling should be in balance. And the fact that if, if God's love is so great, if his salvation for us is so powerful, if God is, has granted um, such an ability for us to be in a right relationship with him, then us as believers, those of us who, who follow Christ, should live a life accordingly. If the gospel has taken that much root into our heart, if we've experienced his love, if we've given our life to him, then our life should be shaped accordingly to that. The fact is, is that God's love is what shapes us. It's what gives us the ability to truly do what Paul is saying here, to live a life, to walk out that, that calling with, with conduct and character and a life that is, is worthy. I love this quote. It says this. It says, Christ has done so much for me that the rest of my life is a P.S. for him. That's like a true understanding of this weight between what a life, what our calling should be as, as Christ followers and, and, and that idea of having that worthy, that true character, that true conduct with him. But I think there has to be a clarification when it comes to this idea as, as calling that Paul's talking about here. Because I think sometimes um, we can get confused on this idea of calling that, that as a pastor and as somebody that's not a pastor, that calling is different, that one is worth more than the other, as if a pastor's calling is greater than, than you as a Christ follower to be an engineer, like, like, the, like the, uh, the, the engineer and the evangelist's calling is different, like the pastor and the professor's calling is different, like the missionary and the stay-at-home mom's call is different, as if one is greater. And that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that all of us, 
as believers are called to live a life that he has created us, given us the gifts, the makeup, the being to be, that there is no difference. Sometimes we can get ideas that there's this sacred calling and there's a secular calling and there's a giant difference, but that's not truth at all. God has called each one of us to be his, and he's given us gifts and abilities to live out the things that he's equipped us and called us to be. But I think the thing that we have to learn in order to answer that, understanding that there is no difference, is we really have to learn how we're wired. We have to begin to discover our gifts. So if we're going to walk this out, this calling that Paul's talking about here, we have to discover truly who we are. We have to be able to discover those unique gifts that each one of us have. And here at Newbreak, we, we provide so many different ways for you to be able to take those steps. Uh, one of the ways that we do that is our Next Steps class, and I know you guys just started that at your campus, and, and Pastor Tony leads that class, and I know that's coming up in a couple weeks. And for some of you to really begin to understand who God has called you to be is to be able to take that first step and discover where you're called to serve in the church sometimes. And that's what Next Steps class really gives you the ability to do. It's a class where you can find out who we are as a church, what we believe, why we do what we do, and how you can get plugged into one of the weekend service teams or even helping out during the week because there's so many things. Like a pastor just doesn't work on Sunday, right? Church just doesn't happen on Sunday. It happens throughout the week. And that next step class begins to give you that ability to, to truly discover those gifts and abilities that God's given you and, and be able to take that step and learn how to live out those gifts. Another thing that we have is a group called uh, Discovering Your Pathway. And Discovering Your Pathway is a life group that's about 10 weeks long, and I know Pastor Steve has led that group um, historically. And that's a group that's getting ready to start. Our life groups in general for New Break will start um, the, weekend, uh, the weekend after Labor Day. That week our, our groups kick off. And if you've never been in a Discover Your Pathway group, this is an awesome group. It's really a chance for you. We do, uh, we do like a spiritual gifts test um, so you can begin to understand those gifts that God's given you. Maybe you've wrestled with them for a little bit. You're like, man, I want to teach or I love kids or I want to lead or I want to be a small group leader, whatever it is, this group gives you that ability to take a personality test, it gives you a chance to take your spiritual gifts test, and it really helps you begin to understand who you are and what God has called you to be. And I think there's all kinds of great personality tests out there. Some of you guys have taken uh, like Strength Finders, or some of you guys have taken Myers-Briggs, or any of those, and those are really uh, they can be tedious at times. Some of the questions you're like, uh, I don't know, but what, what those tests are really designed to do is really help you discover who God has created you to be and how to truly live those gifts. What they really help you do is understand not only the calling and gifting that God's given you, but they help you truly understand who you are and who you're not. Because sometimes that's the reality check we need, right? Like, we have these gifts and we have these, uh, uh, these things that God's given us, but I think we have to have truly an understanding, a healthy understanding of who we are and who we're not. We have to really truly understand our limitations sometimes. We have to embrace, and I don't necessarily call them limitations, we have to be able to embrace the gifts to the fullest that God has given me. Because if not we get caught in that comparison game again. Well, why aren't my gifts this? Or why can't I do that? And I think when we get lost in that, it's because we don't have a healthy understanding of who God has called us to be, who God has made us to be. Because sometimes we can get lost in it and be mad at God because I'm not this or I'm, I'm not that. 
And I think for me as, as a pastor, it's really easy for me to get lost in that because I'll look at things like, well, why do I have, like, why am I not a great speaker and speaking all over the place? You guys are all, I've heard you for five minutes now, and I know why. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or, you know, when I look at our church, why aren't we 10,000 people? Why aren't we this? Or why can't I do this? Or why am I not writing books? Or why am I not doing this in my life? I'm a cyclist, and why can't I ride 200 miles in a day or something like that? The fact is, is that when we truly understand who we are and who we're not, we can truly embrace our giftings and understand the limitations, understand what we're truly called to do. Because it's about having a healthy understanding of who we are and who we're not. It was about six years ago I had the opportunity, I, I was at a church in Nashville, I was a pastor out there for a few years, and uh, I had the opportunity to take a, a team of uh, 15 people to L.A. to the Dream Center. Uh, the Dream Center is much like what we're doing out at our East County campus, our Hope Center, and you'll see a video about that here in a few moments about what's going on out there. But basically, it's a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour church really living out um, this missional type, helping people with food and, and clothing and all different things like that and providing amazing resources to their community. But I had the opportunity to take this team from Nashville out to, out, uh, to L.A. for a week, and we were a part of all the different work that they're doing. But I remember on a Thursday afternoon, we were at chapel, and Thursday afternoon chapel um, is their chance for their up-and-coming speakers, the guys that want to be able to be preachers. They have an opportunity to preach at chapel for like five minutes. And there was a guy, and this was a discipleship ministry that they were running, and there was a guy that was up there talking, and God bless him, but he should probably never, ever have been on a stage talking. Like, I didn't know what he was talking about. I didn't know how he got there, but somehow he got to this point in, in this conversation he was having about John the Baptist. And I didn't understand how he got there, and I didn't necessarily understand his point, but what he got to is he said this point, and I was kind of counting the ceiling tiles at the chapel at that point. And he says, you know the thing about John the Baptist that I love? He goes, John the Baptist understood who he was and who he wasn't. And then the guy began to qualify his story on how he understood who he was and who he wasn't. And at that time in my life, I was kind of going through like an identity crisis, like a big, huge identity crisis, especially when it came to like, who I was as a pastor, am I even called to be in the church? And God used that conversation to really help me begin to chase after this idea of, of who I am and who I'm not. To understand the giftings that I had, I had to embrace those. I had to stop being something I wasn't. Because I think we can all get lost in this idea that, man, I just have to fake it. Because what I'm doing in life right now and I don't even know if that's what I'm called to do. But I began to truly chase after that and really get that healthy understanding of who God called me to be so that I could find my place, not only in my life, but in the church as well, because I was restless. I had this identity crisis where I didn't know who I was or what I was called to do, but I knew I had to chase after this idea of who I was and who I wasn't. And Paul writes about this in Romans 12, Where's that at? I'm sorry, he writes about that in 1 Corinthians. He says this, he says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just 
as he wanted them to be. What he's talking about is all of us as the church body with the giftings and callings that each one of us have, that each one of us have a place in the body of the church. Each one of us have a gift that the church can use. Some of us are feet, some of us are legs, some of us are hands, some of us are ears. And when we understand what part of the body that we are, the church can truly function. The church can truly make an impact because all of us are living out those giftings and callings and ability that Paul's talking about here. And every single one of us can begin to live those out. It's when we have that understanding that that all of us are called to do different things within the context of who we are as the church that we can truly function and be united as the church together. See, I think when we live this out, this statement becomes a reality that unless we live it out in a healthy way, but this statement right here, I can be a better version of me but I can never succeed at trying to be a better version of you. See, the healthy context of this statement is that I understand who I am and who you are. But on the flip side of that is that it's the comparison idea, is that I can become a better version of me, but I don't necessarily like me. I want to be you, but I'll never truly be a successful version of you. And how do we make that statement not a reality in our life? We strengthen our strengths. We go after who we are. We chase after developing and and, and becoming a better version of me. Becoming who God has truly called me to be. Not what the person next to you or not what the person here, but going after who God has called me to be and strengthening those strengths. Paul says this in Romans 12. He says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. He's like, if it's prophesying, then be good at that. That's your calling. That's who you are. He says, if it's serving, then serve. If you're called to serve, then serve. He says, if it's teaching, then teach. If it's, if it's encouraging, then be encouraging. If it's giving, then be generous. And he says, if it's lead, then do it diligently. And if it's to be merciful, then do it cheerfully. Paul's saying, these are your strengths. He gives it there and he says, if those are your strengths, do that. Don't try to be something that you're not. Be who God has called you to be. Because when we are, as individuals, living out who God has called us truly to be in a worthy manner, the next part of this passage that Paul says is this idea of unity as the church. And when we are as a church, filled with people who have truly embraced who God is and we're chasing after those things, we can be united and we can do great things. Because God can use a church where people are living out those callings, they're chasing after them. We're becoming better versions of who God has called us to be as individuals and the church. And over this past year, as Newbreak, we've had some opportunities to do amazing things. In fact, our East County campus is now called the Hope Center. And the Hope Center is right in the epicenter of, and I don't know if you know this, but 
uh, East County and San Diego in general is the second largest refugee community in the United States outside of Detroit, Michigan. And our Hope Center is right in the epicenter of that. We have an Arabic campus out there that's just reaching a community and a people group that feel disconnected. They're refugees. They feel rejected. But that campus is right in the middle of that community, serving it well. And we have an update here in a second of just how many meals they've provided, just how many opportunities they've provided to embrace a people group that feel rejected. On September 9th, we're launching a campus in Hillcrest. That's another community that feels rejected, that feels that, man, we don't, the church in Hillcrest, anytime I have conversations with my buddy and said, yeah, well, other pastors in the local area and say, yeah, I heard you guys are launching a new campus. Where's that at again? And I'll say Hillcrest. And they're like, wow, that's different. And we'll say, we wouldn't want to be anywhere else because we know who God has called us to be. And we have people in our church that are living out that calling so that as a church, we can make a greater impact, not only in our own backyard in San Diego, but throughout the globe as well. But check out this video. This is an update of all the things that, that are truly going on right now. Hey, New Break, Pastor Eric here from the East County campus and director of the Hope Center. And I just wanted to take a minute and just thank you for believing in the power of life change. You know, it's hard to believe that at the beginning of 2018, we started off with a kitchen and a dream to begin to feed food insecure families and individuals all in East County. And guys, I'm here to tell you right now, you are, have been instrumental in making a miracle become a reality and bringing hope to the world one person at a time, one family at a time. Year to date, in the last eight months, now think about that for a second, we have fed over 17,000 meals. I mean, that's way more than we ever could have imagined, but that's not it. Like there's so much more. We've helped 37 people with job training and and helping them get a job here in East County. Uh, 42 families, we've helped them with housing assistance and getting them connected with the right programs to get them off the street and back into housing. And then 37 people have made decisions for Christ since 2018 began. In eight short months, God's been able to unleash that sort of miracle. And it only happens because of your generosity. It only happens because of your willingness to serve. You are the people who fuel and fund hope being distributed all throughout East County. And so I just wanted to thank you for that. You know, it wasn't that long ago, about eight years ago, that Newbreak adopted the East County campus and brought her into the family. I can't help but be excited to talk to you about our new campus that's launching in early September. That's our Hillcrest campus. Pastor Isaac and his wife Kelsey are getting ready to launch there. In the first couple of weeks of September, there'll be a vibrant, thriving church community right on the corner of Normal and Harvey Milk in the heart of Hillcrest. Now, one of the things that's happening at Hillcrest that excites me the most is we actually have a Swahili-speaking congregation that meets there every Sunday afternoon. It's mostly made up of refugees from West Africa. Now think about that for a second, that God's begin to open doors, not just around the world for us to serve refugees, but right in our own backyard right in our Hillcrest campus to be serving the Swahili-speaking congregation that are you know, coming to this country for the first time and having their lives changed and having a place where they can meet Jesus face-to-face. It's been exciting to see what we've done in a partnership with the SoCal Network. 
We've committed to helping refugees and planting churches, not only in Greece, but in Lebanon. There's tons of refugees pouring into both of those countries. And for us to be able to bring the gospel and to bring hope, to bring clean water, to bring second chances and new beginnings to these refugee camps, I'm telling you, it is something dynamic and special. And we're seeing people's lives change, not just in Lebanon, but in Greece, here in the United States, in San Diego, not just at our Hillcrest campus, but at the Hope Center and other ministries in San Diego that support refugees through soccer camps and English as a Second Language and other resources that are welcoming them as they get off the ship. I mean, here they are coming to a new country where they don't speak the language. They step off of the boat, they step off of the plane, and somebody's there to meet them and help them find their way, get connected and get plugged in. We really only have about four months left in 2018. But to accomplish all the things that we know that God's called us to, we need a lot. We need about $500,000 still to finish this year strong. But I believe in you. I believe in your ability to make this happen. Now, whether your gift is big or small, it really matters because collectively we can reach these goals. You know, honestly, I want to talk to some of you very specifically right now. Some of you have the ability to give a year-end gift that would be a life-changing gift for Kingdom Builders and for the people that receive the blessing and the life change that comes from Kingdom Builders Ministries. Some of you have the ability to write checks today that are bigger than the person sitting next to you. But I want to challenge you to be prayerful about what God's calling you to do. And I want you to be thinking about and talking with your family and your spouse about what is your plan to finish strong with Kingdom Builders in 2018. That's amazing, right? All the impact that we have, just not only here in San Diego, but throughout the globe as well, with our Hope Center, with our Hillcrest, with our international missions teams. And it's because of the way that you guys are being generous and going and serving. And really, as I look at the emphasis of what Paul is saying here, this idea of walking out our calling in a worthy manner and, and being united as a church, that's exactly really what how we answer this question of how do I live this out? We, we live this out by, by being, being the people he's called us to be, being generous and going, and going and serving, understanding our gifts, understanding who he's called us to be as individuals and a church, to be and to go. And when I watch a video like that and I hear those things and I hear about the opportunity and, and the audacious challenge of going to those communities and, and serving, because some of us have never been uh, around uh, people groups at the East County campus and, and Hillcrest have ever, we, we've never done that before. We've never stepped out of our safety zone. In fact, we don't go west of the five or east of the five if we don't have to, right? We're beach people. God is calling us to be and to go. And the fact is, is there's some things that when it comes to this idea of being and going that, that we have to work through when, and the stress and the anxiety that kind of fills us up. Like, I don't know, my resources are tight. I don't know about this idea of being generous or, or I don't know about going because yeah, I am comfortable here. And there was this devotional that Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback wrote this week about this idea of the stress and the anxiety and the worry and what the Bible has to say about it. He says, when it comes to our worry about being, stre about being and, and going, he says, the Bible says that, that really it's unreasonable. In fact, 
Matthew 6, 25 says, There I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is, is that not more, is, is food not more than life and is the body not more than clothes? We're all going to have fears in life, especially when it comes to this idea of being and going. But life is just more than accumulation of, of things. It's about being concerned about what truly matters. He says when it comes to this idea of the worry and anxiety of about being and going, the Bible says that it's, it's unnatural. In the next verse, Jesus reminds us that, that the birds of the air, that the plants don't worry. In fact, they trust who God is. It's only us and creation as, as God's people that we worry about those things. But God says, I will provide. Now, when it comes to the idea of being worried and stressed, it's not just that it's unreasonable or it's unnatural, it's unnecessary. And further down in Matthew 6.30, it says, I am your heavenly father, you are my child, I'm going to take care of your needs. See, I think where this worry and this stress about being and going becomes so big in our life is when we doubt the love and the faithfulness of who God is. See, just like this idea that our character and our calling have to match, this idea of going and being have to be of the same equal weight. And let me explain what I'm talking about here. See, it's this idea that every single one of us need to be operating in, in who we are and the gifts that God has called us to be so that we can have an impact on one life at a time. And we have that opportunity right here in our own city with the things that we're doing as New Break. See, when it comes to having that equal balance of being and going is the fact that if you aren't using your gifts, whose life is not going to be impacted? If you're not living out this idea of being and going, if you don't live out the idea of being generous, if I don't get involved with showing people compassion, what life is not going to be impacted. See, in order for us to truly live all this out, we have to look around. We have to get out of our world. We have to become compassionate. Look at what's going on around us. It's easy for us. And I get lost in the world of me on a regular basis. It's all about me and my needs and the things that I want to do and my kids and my house. And hey, we've got to make sure that our own house is in order before we can do anything. But we also have to break out of our world and see the things that are going on around me because the world Everything around it doesn't just necessarily spin around me. I have to take the focus off me or I will never accomplish anything of lasting value if I don't take that step of faith. See, I think it's really the interacting with and, and serving others that our true character, our true calling of who God has called us to become uh, becomes like prevalent in our life. It gives us the ability to truly answer that call when we take that next step of faith and we focus on others instead of just ourselves. Paul says it like this in verse two. He says, be completely humble and gentle. 
not prideful, not wrapped up in me, but humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. See, a virtuous character changes the way we view others because it gets our eyes off ourselves and focuses on other people. Paul says that, that in this verse, in, in verse 2, he says that we are to be humble, we are to be gentle, we are to be patient, and we are to love one another. See, those things right there are the absolute opposite of a selfish life. Those are the characteristics of walking out a life in a worthy manner with an equal balance of understanding of being and going. Are we going to get all these things perfect? No. Absolutely not. But instead of focusing in on those weaknesses in ourselves or, or others, in the sake of unity that Paul's talking about in this verse, we need to pray for each other and we need to listen well. We need to listen well. In order to do any of this, we have to listen well. We have to listen to the needs. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit for his guidance and direction because the Spirit is guiding us. The Spirit is constantly guiding us as his people so that we can be generous and that we can go and serve. And Paul ends out this passage, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit because unity is about the power of all of us doing these things together, working together for the common good. But in your life, when it comes to this idea of being and going, of living this life, of walking worthy, walking out this calling in a worthy manner, are you making every effort in your life? Are you taking those steps? Maybe for some of you, it's, it's going to that next steps class to begin to live this out. It's, it's signing up and, and being with Pastor Steve in a, in a DYP group to truly begin to be and, and, and to go. And I think we've done a good job of a church this year to really listen to the Holy Spirit's guiding to what he's called us to do as a church. But we need to be together living that out. All understanding who he's created us to be so that we can continue to have that impact. I'm excited about what's going on in East County. I'm excited about putting a campus in the in Hillcrest. I'm excited about the things that we get to do throughout the globe, building houses in Mexico. But we can't do it as separate individuals. We have to do it as a united church of, of people that understand and have the healthy understanding of, of being and going. But when it comes to you and your understanding, how are you listening to the Holy Spirit's guidance? Because I've plugged my ears when he's called me to be and to go and the anxiety of, man, I don't know what my finances look like and, and this idea of being generous, I, I just don't know. And this idea of going to, to, to serve with other people that I've never been around before makes me nervous. But when I listen to the Holy Spirit and let him guide me, is when I'm willing to take that step out of my comfort zone and truly walk out my calling in a worthy manner. This morning, I want to close by reading the words of Paul in this passage over you one more time. But I want to read it in the message translation because I truly believe it, it gives us really what Paul is saying in a way that we can truly understand it. And Paul says this. He says, in light of all of this, 
Here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road that God has called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that. Mark that all you do with this humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourself out for each other in acts of love, at alert, at noticing the differences, and quick at mending fences. The question I want to leave you with this morning is where is God calling you? Where is God calling you to make a greater impact in his kingdom, to help build the kingdom? As you walk out that calling and embrace the gifts that God's given you, to to walk that out in a worthy manner, where is it in your life that you need to answer that call and build the kingdom? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the words of Paul and just the reminder that we all have been given different gifts and abilities and talents. And we need to embrace those. We need to have that healthy understanding of, of who we are and, and who we're not. Because I believe, God, that when we are a church body that is made of, of people that truly understand who we are and who we're not, and embracing those gifts, that we can make a greater impact than we could ever make on our own. God, we pray for the amazing things that are going on in East County. And God, give us the ability to take that next step sometimes and that uncomfortableness of the unknown and and serve and and, and impact a community of people that feel rejected. God, I, I thank you for the opportunity that we have in Hillcrest to be able to do the things that we're called there to do. God, I thank you for this campus. I thank you for Steve and Karen and Tony and Mike and the entire team here and the incredible impact that we're making in Pacific Beach. And I ask that, God, you continue to strengthen our strengths. Give us clarity. Help us be the people that you've called us to be so that we can have an impact as a church, not only in our own backyard, but throughout the globe as well. So, Father, we love you and we praise you. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Danny. That was really challenging. I'm going to ask the ushers if they'd come forward right now. We're going to return our tithes and our offerings and our gifts to the Lord. I don't know about you, but I just felt so challenged in so many different ways in that message. And one of them is that collectively that we would do something substantial that could really make a difference. You know, I, I believe in what they're doing at Hope Center. I'm just so proud of Eric and his team over there and what's going to go on over at Hillcrest. So um, just I know God's been speaking to some of you as we take uh, and receive this offering this, this morning. I know my wife and I, Karen, and myself, um, we, we give, uh, of course, every week, we, we give our 10% to the Lord and our tithes, but we also give above and beyond to kingdom builders because it's something we are so passionate about. And we just, to actually see what's going on today in San Diego and all of it through our different campuses and the refugees and all the things we're doing, I'm like, wow, I get to be a part of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you positioned us as, as New Break Church, six different campuses, Lord, to be able to impact San Diego in such a profound way that we think of all the refugees that are coming over. And we know that's not a mistake. <laughs> there's, there's a divine 
rhythm and purpose in all of that, Lord. You're reaching, and we're helping us to reach people groups that have normally would not be reached with the gospel. We, we, we thank you, Lord, for uh, all, all of the other ministries that we have going on. We're so excited about Hillcrest, and as uh, Danny's just talked about. So, Lord, I pray that you take these gifts, these tithes, these offerings, and use it for your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.